1: Biden responds to Putin in Ukraine.
0: For today, I'm announcing the first tranche of sanctions to impose costs on Russia. How
1: the Ukrainian crisis will impact us in the U.S. Well, this crisis is the possibility of affecting everything that we do. Booster shots may not be effective for many According to a new study,
2: the off-ramp should have been apparent long ago.
1: This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, February 23rd. I'm Mike Scott. President Joe Biden addressed Vladimir Putin's incursion into Ukraine Tuesday.
0: To put it simply, Russia just announced that it is carving out a big chunk of Ukraine.
1: President Biden went on to say what measures the U.S. will take in the wake of the Putin aggression. So
0: today, I'm announcing the first tranche of sanctions to impose costs on Russia in response to
1: their actions yesterday. Biden says that because of Russia's incursion into Ukraine, it will have a major impact on energy production in Europe.
0: Because of Russia's actions, we've worked with Germany to ensure Nord Stream 2 will not, as I promised, will not move forward.
1: White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked what it would take for President Biden to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin.
3: De-escalation, that's what it would take. Which have you defined that? De-escalation means moving troops. It means de-escalating from what the steps they continue to take on a daily basis appear to be.
1: Saki also contends that U.S. troops will not be placed in combat roles in Ukraine.
3: The president has no intention of sending U.S. troops into Ukraine to fight in Ukraine. What we are doing is we are abiding by our obligations to our NATO allies and partners to ensure that they have the support and the resources uh, that they need. And that is our right and our obligation as the United States.
1: On Capitol Hill, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says President Biden cannot go easy, on Putin. Impose the toughest
0: possible sanctions, the toughest possible sanctions
1: now. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham says the U.S. needs to react forcefully to Vladimir Putin's actions. This idea of trying to sit down and rationally talk with Putin is folly. The only thing that Putin will understand is a strong response. Meantime, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says Russia's deployment of troops is a serious violation of international law.
3: It further undermines Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. It damages efforts to find a peaceful resolution to the conflict, and it has grave consequences for European security.
1: Tyler Kustra who's an assistant professor of politics and international relations at the University of Nottingham, says what the EU and UK have done is just a slap on the wrist.
3: This is the most serious international crisis in Europe uh, since the end of the Cold War. We can't allow a sovereign European country to whom security assurances have been given to be invaded. And at a bare minimum, We should make the Russian economy screw.
1: Kostra says if Putin takes over in Ukraine, he does not need the Nord Stream 2 pipeline.
3: The point of Nord Stream 2 was to do an end run around Ukraine. Now, if he takes over Ukraine, uh, he doesn't really need Nord Stream 2 to do that end run. So it's a good reaction. But we still have a long ways to go to stop this aggression in Europe.
1: Morgan Ortegas, former State Department spokesperson, joined the Salem Radio Network to discuss her thoughts on how the Biden administration is handling the Ukrainian crisis.
3: I see uh, error after error after error that this team has made. Um, And now, you know, you see uh, the Russians have once again on the same group of people who were in power during the second term of the Obama administration. Um, He has decided to invade again, and and I think it's it's no coincidence that he waited for this team to be in charge again. How
1: does Ortega see the demands Russia is putting on the table?
3: All the stuff that the Russians are putting on the table right now, wanting to negotiate the size of our troop presence and our missile defense systems and the size of NATO, all of those things they tried to put on the table with Pompeo and Marshall Billingsley, um, and we told them to pound sand.
1: So what is the key difference between how the Trump administration handled Russia and the biden administration
3: there's a lot of revisionist history on cable television about uh especially on the left right now about what trump did or didn't do with russia uh, let's make it really clear trump kicked out 60 russian diplomats and, and spies we left the inf treaty as i just talked about 1.4 uh, billion in military assistance I, I, I my last count this is an official count this is just my count going through all my statements there was at least uh, 30 rounds of sanctions and indictments.
1: In her view, how did the Biden administration react to Russia once it assumed office?
3: In year one of the Biden administration, where he said, you know, he's supposed to be the toughest there ever was on Russia. We've had no real sanctions on the Russian economy. Uh, They stayed the new start. They didn't get anything for it, as we talked about. And and I've seen Jake Sullivan delay uh, or stall Ukrainian military assistance at least three times in, in the past year.
1: Retired United States Air Force Colonel and CNN military analyst Cedric Layton joined the Daybreak Insider podcast to talk more about the latest on the Ukrainian crisis. With the situation in Ukraine being so fluid, what should Americans know about the crisis as it stands right now?
4: Well, this crisis is the possibility of affecting everything that we do in terms of, you know, everyday stuff like gas prices all the way to what we where we put our military forces. Uh, the chance that, uh, you know, the, uh, what uh, Putin is doing here is giving us a chance to uh, really relook at the world. Now, that's not his intent. He wants to take over Ukraine, but what he really wants uh, to do is make sure that Russia's power is as great as it possibly can be. That can have direct implications on how everything works in the United States, whether it's you know, how much money we spend on the military, all the way to where we get raw materials for. Uh, certain industrial processes. So it's a pretty significant uh, development geopolitically and it could impact our daily lives uh, quite quickly, actually.
1: Do you think the president's speech hit the right tone?
4: Well, I think it's a good step in the right direction. Uh, You know, if you'd asked President Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, about this, he would have said, uh, you know, implement sanctions right now, all the way, maximum level, Uh, and, uh, you know, make sure that there are consequences for the Russians immediately. Uh, President Biden has chosen a different approach, uh, and it's probably, at least from the United States' angle, the wiser approach.
1: Can you explain why the president's approach may be
4: wise from an American perspective? The reason I say that is you want to give Putin the ability to have an out. It's kind of a classic negotiating uh, tactic. But uh, we all know that Putin is planning to uh, do something major. He's basically planning to upend uh, the way the world is organized. And that's something that's not in the U.S.'s interest. So uh, President Biden's approach uh, is the right one at the moment. Uh, The question is, how long can it last? And will we be flexible enough uh, to change it when events warrant uh, a change and and a much more hard response?
1: What do you think Vladimir Putin will plan next? So I
4: think what he will do next will be to move his forces uh, for real into uh, the Donbas regions that he has now. The two regions that he has now taken over. Those are the regions of Luhansk and Donetsk. And uh, those two areas have been declared independent countries by Russia. Now nobody else recognizes this. Uh, so it's kind of a you know a, a weird uh, fig leaf of a. Uh, of a justification, but uh, Putin is going to bring his troops there. Uh, but his statements have also indicated that he wants to move beyond that into the areas of those provinces in Ukraine that are currently controlled by the Ukrainian government. So those those two areas have been divided between Russian, pro-Russian separatists and the Ukrainian government.
1: If Putin moves further into Ukraine, in your opinion, what may happen? Putin wants
4: all of those areas. And uh, once he moves in that direction, which I think will be his move after next, that will then be uh, a cause for further conflict and could really inflame the situation. After that, I think he plans to go against Kiev, the uh, Ukrainian capital, uh, and uh, attack uh, some other areas. Uh, probably in a combined campaign uh, with the hallmarks of hybrid warfare, which means conventional and unconventional means being used at once. And that could be a very... Scary situation for the Ukrainians, uh, but also a very difficult situation uh, from a diplomatic and a military standpoint.
1: Is it too late for a rush of NATO troops to be stationed in Poland and elsewhere?
4: The uh, NATO troops that have been rushed into Poland are there to serve as a firewall, if you will. Prevent the Russians from moving into NATO territory. Uh, Putin has not said uh, that he would directly do that right now, but the risk is certainly there that he would or that there would be some kind of a spillover effect from the fighting and, you know, potential fighting in Ukraine. Uh, so uh, any movement of U.S. or other NATO troops into Poland is a, probably a necessary move uh, just to make sure that the uh, Russians don't go too far. Uh, it also will be a key a uh, factor in aiding any refugee flows that come out of Ukraine should uh, things go, go really crazy there. And that's the kind of thing that I think we're looking at at this point.
1: Should American troops be used in Ukraine? And if so, in what capacity?
4: Certainly, we have no formal treaty obligations with Ukraine like we do with the NATO countries. And that's one of the reasons why Ukraine wanted NATO membership was to be protected under the NATO umbrella. Uh, Article five of the NATO treaty allows uh, and calls for uh, each country to help the other in the event that they are attacked. And uh, so, without that protection, uh, Ukraine doesn't get uh, that help by that treaty. However, I, I think we should have not taken that off the table at the beginning. Not that anybody in America wants to go to war or put, uh, you know, put their their troops in harm's way. But uh, if there is even a question mark in Putin's mind as to whether or not we're going to do something like that, that could have served as a deterrent effect and uh, might have prevented some of the things that, uh, that we're seeing right now.
1: How does the crisis in Ukraine benefit
4: China politically? That's a very interesting question because the, uh, President Xi and President Putin uh, met uh, just before the Olympics and, uh, it, you know, it occurred in, in Beijing and it seemed as if uh, they had uh, reached a high degree of um, uh, of concord of uh, of amicability. Uh, you know, they basically signed a treaty of of friendship that uh, renewed other treaties that the two countries have had. Uh, and so it seems as if China would back uh, Russia unconditionally. But the latest statements from China at the UN. Have been uh, such that uh, they talk about uh, respecting the rights of all countries, uh, making sure that their borders are protected, and uh, in essence, uh, you know, saying that the national sovereignty is the key element uh, that um, uh, that needs to be protected in the international
1: order. How will Putin respond to China, saying that state sovereignty should be
4: respected? That's something that uh, really fits with NATO's idea of how things should happen. And that's the kind of thing that puts China potentially at odds with Russia in this. Uh, But uh, we'll see how they really act, because there are a lot of economic ties that bind both uh, Russia and China to each other. And uh, China may kind of straddle the fence a bit here with this. Uh, They may not like what Russia is doing, but they won't condemn it outright.
1: Many thanks to Colonel Cedric Layton for joining the Daybreak Insider podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at... Cedric Layton. The CDC has published the first significant data on the effectiveness of boosters in adults younger than 65, but the agency led by Dr. Rochelle Walensky did not share information on those aged 18 to 49 who are considered to be the least likely to benefit from a booster. That revelation leads some to speculate that the agency is not releasing the data because it weakens the case for booster shots in certain demographics. This comes amid growing pushback against mask mandates and the ongoing battle between parents and teachers unions across the country. Town Hall political editor Guy Benson joined America's newsroom to discuss some teachers unions refusing to follow the science. Kids
2: are safe in schools overwhelmingly. Kids are safe generally from COVID, thank God. It's one of the few bright spots of COVID and we have doggedly refused to respond to that data in some of our bluest areas in this country.
1: Benson went on to point out that it is the teachers unions who fought against school openings.
2: We learned from FOIA documents and emails that when there was going to be reopening guidance from the CDC, the teachers unions last year got a sneak preview and decided, oh no, we don't like this. And they changed the science.
1: Benson isn't convinced by the words of some teachers union officials who say they want to reopen schools. The off
2: ramp was the data as early as we said in the open here of fall 2020 tons of data not conflicting studies overwhelming information that kids are the safest people on the planet Mm -hmm. and schools are not super spreaders and masks on kids really don't achieve very much the off-ramp should have been apparent long ago
1: turning to the upcoming state of the union address by president biden which will require social distancing and masks Benson had this to say.
2: This is why I think that the Republicans should have the response given by Glenn Youngkin in the House of Delegates in Richmond, invite all the Republicans down, pack the House and signal to America, we're getting back to
1: normal. U.S. consumer confidence fell in February to the lowest point since September, amid decades-high inflation. Daybreak Insider's Ken
4: Norman has details. The Conference Board's Index of Consumer Confidence took a hit in January. The index, which assesses the current and future outlook on our economy by average consumers, ticked lower last month, prompted by the surging prices of nearly everything.
1: And finally, 10-year-old Sophie Enderton of Niagara County, New York, is dedicating her time to crafting chemo comfort bags for hospital patients after seeing her grandfather battle pancreatic cancer.
2: My grandpa was going through a lot.
1: The 10-year-old girl was close to her grandfather and wanted to help out when he was diagnosed with cancer.
3: Sophie and him were very close. She was grandpa's girl, um, his only granddaughter.
1: So with help from her family, Sophie put together comfort bags Filling them with items that are meant to enhance comfort. Blankets, small pillows, games, word searches, cozy socks and mitts. Meant not just for her own grandfather, but for other patients battling cancer as well. We
2: put blankets, some made by my great grandma. Pillows, some snacks.
1: Sadly, after she delivered the bags, her grandfather lost his battle with cancer. But Sophie knows he would have been proud.
2: He would be very proud of me. Yeah, for sure.
1: Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us.